All right. So uh, we're pausing from Revelation and we're kind of leaning into this week that uh, marks the beginning of Holy Week, which is a day uh, that we call and the church historically is called Palm Sunday. This is the day where Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey, right, on his way to do what God had planned for him to do from the beginning of time, right? So I want you to think about this. Before he hung a star in the sky, this was the plan of God for his son, right, to ride into Jerusalem, to go to a cross which he did not deserve to go to. Right? But he had planned it all along that he would do so, so that he could call sinners like me home. Okay? And so this is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful passage. Although this day seems like, if you know this text, I mean, Jesus rides in on the back of this donkey, people are going nuts. I mean, they're, they're waving palm branches, they're shouting Hosanna, people are in the streets, it's packed. Jerusalem was full because of the Passover feast. I mean, it was jammed. Some people say, some historians say as many as potentially 200,000 to, this is a big gap, 2 million people could have been in this city in the greater area around Jerusalem at this time. So, man, it's crazy. It's going, it's, it's packed out and people are losing their minds. They're, they're shouting Hosanna at Jesus as he's on the back of this donkey. And, uh, and it seems like this would be, man, just a raving success. This is like if you were planning an entrance party, this is probably what you wanted it to look like, right? It seems like unparalleled joy kind of unfolding in this text. But what I want you to see today is this actually, this story is a lot more about unmet expectations. It's unmet expectations. I don't know about you, but this past year for me, there's been a whole lot of unexpected things that have happened. Some unexpected things that we've walked through, right? It seems like nothing is certain. Everything is unexpected. None of us probably, uh, you know, expected to see a pandemic in our lives, let alone live through one, right? I, on top of that, didn't anticipate planting a church in the middle of one, right? They didn't, t- they didn't teach you that in seminary. Like, hey, when you're going to plant a church, just wait for the next pandemic. God's going to bless it, right? Like, they never told us that, right? So these are some unexpected things I'm walking through in my life. But here's what I've come to learn about Jesus through his word. In just a short time, I've walked with him in my life, is that Jesus tends to move in unexpected circumstances, He tends to move in an unexpected way. He tends to move outside of the realm of our expectations, right? And so today, what I want to show you, uh, you know, this beautiful text we're going to look at in Luke 19. And what I want to show you is that Jesus is, in fact, the unexpected king. He's the unexpected king, and he does two things. He does a lot more than that, but two things I want to show us for our time today. A king is a king who uses the unexpected for his purposes, and he does the unexpected for the purpose of his praise, right? So he uses the unexpected for his purpose, and he does the unexpected for his praise, okay? So let me pray, and we're going to read Luke 19. Father, I love you. God, so thankful for your words, so thankful for your church today. God, I'm so just thankful the sun is out. We've got breath in our lungs. Uh, We've got a place to worship, and we've got a king to look to. And so, Jesus, I pray that in these moments you would use your word effectively in the lives of your people Lord, there are people here that I've never seen before. I don't know their stories. I don't know their backgrounds. I don't know what baggage they, they pulled with them and set underneath the pews. God, I don't know what's going on in their minds, their hearts, the things that clouds their thoughts today, the things that pull at their, uh, just their attention in these places because of whatever pain they've left uh, in the parking lot. But, Father, I know that you do. And so, God, I pray that you would use your word, the revealed, authoritative living and active word of God in the lives of your church. This is your church. This is not my church. It's not LifePoint's church. This is your church. And so, God, I pray that you would grow it, grow it through obedience, grow it through your people, 
in your name's sake. It's your name we pray. Amen. All right, so Luke 19, 29, uh, yeah, 29 through 40. I'm going to read this together for our time. It says this, when he drew near to Bethphage in Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village in front of you, where on entering you're going to find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it, you shall say this, the Lord has need of it. I want you to underline that verse. Very, very important text for our time. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? Why are you taking my donkey, basically? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road and uh, he was drawing near already on the way down to Mount of Olives. The whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. Saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered them, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. You know, when we read this passage, we see Jesus riding into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey on the way to the cross. I you think about what I just said to you. Jesus on a donkey on the way to the cross. This, this concept, right, that, that the Son of God, the preeminent, holy, eternal, the one that John says was with God in the beginning, he, in fact, is God, John says, and, and it was by Jesus that he creates all things, right? Everything that we interact with in our lives, Jesus is authoritative over it. And uh, In fact, in Hebrews it says that Jesus himself is the exact imprint of God. In Colossians it says that he upholds the whole universe by a word of his power. I want you to understand something today. There is no virus, there is no government, there is no atom spinning outside of the authority of Christ today. And it is that Jesus in this passage on a donkey, on his way to the cross to die a death he did not deserve. You see, without the life of Christ, there is no concept for this story. This narrative doesn't, doesn't compute. In fact, I would argue that the story of Jesus, the life of Christ, is one of the greatest apologetics for Christ. Just the, the concept of deity cloaked in humanity riding a donkey on the way to die, doesn't make sense in the Jewish worldview of which this story was written. There's no, there's no, uh, there, there's no um, uh, reference for this reality. Instead of being born in a palace, right, at the, play, at the praise of some empire to some power couple of the day, right, like we see in our world today, he came through a virgin in a place of obscurity to the praise of shepherds, <laughs> Instead of ministering to the elite, to the powerful, to influencers of the day, people with platform and pedigree, that's not who Jesus comes to. He moves through the outcast, praise God, right? The marginalized, the, the rejected of society, the people that are on the fringe. See, Jesus always has moved in unexpected ways. It's unexpected ways. When he was drafting his team to put them together to change the world through him, he didn't pull together some search firm and, and get a bunch of resumes and start making a separate stack with Ivy League degrees and, you know, prominent parents and things like that. That's not what he did. What did he go to? 
he went to fishermen. And bad ones, if you read the story, they weren't catching anything that, when Jesus called them. Right, they're pulling up empty nets. Jesus says, drop them, boys. Follow me, right? They're bad fishermen. They're the outcasts. They're the rejected. They're the marginalized. They're the ones you would not have expected. Isn't this how Jesus moves, right? He is an unexpected king. He didn't call qualified men, okay? He always qualifies those whom he calls. This is true of our lives today, right? You don't bring anything to Jesus. I want to make sure. Some of you, you are great people with awesome backgrounds, successful. You've got it all. Jesus, if you know him, did not call you because of that, right? Before a holy God, we are miserable. We are the low of society when you magnify that by the, the presence and the glory and the splendor and the matchlessness of, of Christ, right? right? We don't bring anything to Jesus. He qualifies us the moment he lays the image of his son on us, right? When he calls us by name, that's what qualifies. So Jesus uses the unexpected for his purposes. And right here, instead of riding into Jerusalem on some symbol of conquest, right? Like you, you would have thought Jesus, the Savior King, the Messiah that they're calling out, Hosanna, which means to save, save us. You would think he would have rode in on some stallion or some chariot, right? Some symbol of like success and image and power and all those things, right? But what does he do? He says, boys, go into town. Don't hijack a chariot in the name of Jesus. Go get the donkey. That's what I want. I want to use the donkey. The common, the unexpected donkey. The son of peace, son of humility. I have need for it. He says, if you look at the passage there in verse 30... He says, go into the village in front of you, where on entering, you're going to find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it, bring it to me. If anyone says, hey, boys, what, what are you doing with my donkey? Like, you, you're taking my means of, of, like, of travel. You're taking my means of, like, carrying all my packs. Like, you know, you don't want to downplay the donkey in the, in the story, okay? I don't, I don't want to do that. Because in this society, a donkey was a very valuable thing, right? But he says, don't go untie the chariot and bring it back to me, or don't go get the stallion, don't go get the war horse, come with a donkey. Go bring the donkey, I have a need of it. You know, and, and honestly, this wasn't the original bent I planned to take this text. But the more I read it, man, I just believe God wants to say something to our church through it. You see, all it took, if you read this passage, right, all it took was the Lord to say, go get the donkey, and when they come out and say, hey, what are you doing with my donkey? He says, the Lord needs it. The Lord needs it. The Lord has use for it. In a moment of obedience, Jesus took something unexpected and overlooked, and he turned it into this instrument by which he would bring in, literally, the, the kingdom of God. When you believe Jesus is Lord, I want you to think about this. When you believe Jesus is Lord of your life, when you actually believe him to be king, when that's the posture of your heart, there's nothing in your life that you don't say, you have use for this? I, I think it's interesting, when you read this text, you don't see anything else from these owners. It just says that they said, they're over here untying the donkey. They come outside, like, they're like, what are you doing with my donkey? Like, Jesus needs it. All right, good. You know, take it. All right, you don't hear, like, there's this fight that ensues, and the disciples pound somebody and then ride off on their donkey. That's not what happens. It says, Jesus needs it. Okay. And so I started to think about this. And, what, and it, God was, like, almost saying something to me. Like, what is it in your life, Matt? What is it in your life, something that's valuable to you, something that's maybe overlooked that Jesus wants to use today? What is it that he wants to use today? You see, because I believe when Jesus is Lord of your life, 
no matter what it is, the overlooked things in your life, he has a use for them. Your home, right? No one's thought about that. Like my home, like maybe Jesus today is saying to you, I have a use for that. You think it's yours. You think it's just something kind of common. Everyone's got a home. Maybe Jesus wants to use your home. He wants to open your doors and invite in people around your neighborhood that have never heard the name of Christ. Maybe it's your workplace. There are people maybe that you employ or you work alongside that it's common, it's every day, it's overlooked, but Jesus wants to step into those spaces and say, hey, that thing, I have use for that. I have use for that. Maybe it's your marriage or maybe it's your, your kids. You know, so many of us, we got these dreams for our kids. We have this, like, map that we chart out for our kids, and, and those things are right and good, and we should do those things. But let me just say this. Maybe today Jesus wants to whisper into your ear, hey, I've got use for that. And so I want you to begin pouring into your kids the things of the Lord. I want you to begin praying with them. I want you to begin having some family devotional time. I want you to begin, you know, just uh, pointing your kids on a trajectory where mission is first and not prominence. Right? Where we, we select schools that we send them to based on where they can plug into a local church, not where they can go and get a lot of money. Right? What if we started with that because we said, Jesus, you have a use for this thing, and I want to give it to you because I believe you're Lord. Because here's what I believe to be true. I can stand up here, and I can guilt trip you every single week. So you could just be a better person. If you would just give a little bit more. Don't you see the lights flickering? You know, I could do that every single week, but I just don't believe in that. I don't believe that's the posture or what we see in the pattern of Scripture. I think when we, uh, we come under this idea that Jesus is Lord, that he is actually king, they said, Jesus has need of it. When we see Jesus as who he actually is, all those things take place. I don't have to guilt. I don't have to make a call for it all the time. I don't have to ask you, hey, look, you need to commit to the church. That's what honors God. Why don't you do it? I don't have to do that. I say, look, Jesus is Lord. He's Lord of your life. He wants all of you. He wants not just your butt in a seat. He wants your participation in the body. Right? I don't have to say, hey, won't you give more so we can do more. I don't have to do that. Right? When, when Jesus is Lord, I look at everything I have and I say, God, it's all yours. Why would I not? You have use for it. Take it, God. Honor, you be honored through it. This donkey, like this overlooked, just unexpected thing we see in this passage, this beautiful picture that Jesus uses the unexpected for his purposes. There's a, I shared this story in the last service. There's a lady uh, in our church, uh, who actually was in our last service, and she'll be baptized on Easter. One second, and uh, she doesn't know. She didn't know I was going to share this story, but the re- God just worked some really cool things through her life right now. And uh, she owns a wig shop, and uh, and so she has customers that come in, people that she meets, and things like that. It's really, really awesome family. Anyway, I mean, they're all in right now, serving, getting here early, all this stuff. And God's just doing some, just some crazy cool stuff through their lives. And so she has this wig shop, and she's interacting with people, and she's excited about her church. So when she's, like, selling wigs, she's talking about Jesus. Like, she's talking about life, when she's talking about this new church that she's belonging to, she's excited. Right, this overlooked kind of place, this really common place, like another day at work, right. This family comes in, she talks to them about her church, and she, they go home. It's a conversation, right? They, get, they start looking online. They see, okay, they've actually got a location. Well, she invited them here, right? But they've got a location really close to our home. So they go home and they make a plan to go and attend. They sit there and uh, step into the church and they shared with our pastor 
that day that as the gospel was preached and the congregation left and it was the last service, they're still sitting in the, in the you know, the, the chair. I go, hey, you need to go. <laughs> they're still sitting there. They're talking to each other and the story goes. And they, they after the service, are like, hey, did you, did you feel that? And the guy's like, yeah, I think I did. And they're like, he said it was the Holy Spirit. It's like, maybe God's doing something. And so <laughs> our pastor uh, met with them after that service, set up a time to go meet with them throughout the week, shared the gospel with the guy. They had not been to church in 42 years. The guy gets saved. Here's what I want to say to you. Because of an unexpected, very commonplace thing, right, leveraged for Christ, for his purpose, this guy who no one had him on the map, right, no, no one was... Chasing this guy down, there was a normal conversation leveraged through a heart that loved Jesus who said, here, you use this thing, God. You use this conversation. You use my influence. You use my business place. Now this guy, this brother in Christ, will stand before the Lord redeemed. Beautiful, beautiful picture of, man, not just what God's doing at this campus. Not just what God's doing through a church plant. But what God does in unexpected places for his purposes. And I want to tell you this. You're here today, you say, I kind of feel like a donkey, right, sometimes. Kind of feel out of place, kind of feel overlooked, kind of feel like I don't belong. You're in a great spot. Jesus uses the unexpected for his purposes. What is it that 1 Corinthians 1, 27-29 says? It says, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world. Anybody feel like your biography is on display right now? God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not to bring to, 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 bring to nothing, things that are, so that no human might boast that Jesus gets all the glory. He looks all the better. And so today, let me ask you, church, what is that thing in your life, that common thing? And this isn't for, like, those who aren't living a little better to step up. This is for every one of us, no matter where you stand, no matter how long you've walked with Christ, no matter how good you feel about yourself. Every one of us have a common thing in our life that Jesus wants to take it, and he wants to use it for his purposes and his glory. So what is that for you? Second thing I want to show you is that Jesus does the unexpected for his praise. So he doesn't just use the unexpected for his purpose. He, he does the unexpected for his praise. And that's what we see happen in this passage. John doesn't just show us that he uses unexpected things, but he does unexpected things. Look at verse 36. It says, as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road, and he was drawing near already down the Mount of Olives. He's heading into Jerusalem. And what happens? It says this whole multitude. This whole multitude of people that have been following Jesus. If you know Jesus' story throughout the, the New Testament, everywhere Jesus went, a crowd followed. Right? He was doing crazy things. He was like raising dead men to life. He does that in Lazarus just a few chapters prior. Uh, he, he, he's giving sight to the blind. He's multiplying bread and, and fish and feeding thousands of people. Amazing things are happening in the life of Jesus, and it draws a crowd. And in this passage, it says that this whole multitude of people begin to rejoice. I mean, like, they're, they're, I can imagine, like, oceans breaks out in the thing, and everybody's, like, standing up, singing, like, Hillsong and stuff like that is going on. They're praising God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that he had done and that they had seen. And look what they're saying. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, the king. Blessed is the king. That's truly who he was. But I want to show you in this passage that their expectations of that were a little different than what Jesus was actually coming to do. Pharisee said, teacher, rebuke those disciples who are praising you right now. 
rebuke them. And look at he says, I tell you, if they were silent, the, the very stones are going to cry out. You see, as Jesus made his way into Jerusalem on the back of this donkey, crowds are erupting and things seem like they're going well. But what Ma- and, and look, as we continue, look at Matthew and John, what they say about this moment. It says that they're following him, shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. John records this and says they took palm branches and went out to meet him, crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. So he's riding into the waving of palm branches and shouts of Hosanna follow. Now, Hosanna is a word, again, I told you earlier, means, oh, Lord, save. Save us. Come and save us, God. Branches, these palm branches, are the symbol of victory, right? But here's the thing, right? The problem with this story is that the victory and the salvation that Jesus was going to bring was a little different than their job description, right, for him. It was a little different than what they thought he was going to bring. The Passover was going on, right? So, so people right now, are there's this, this, uh, this idea in their mind already about deliverance. They're, they're remembering how God had brought them out of Egypt. That's what they're commemorating. That's what they're celebrating this feast, this festival that was commanded. All of these people coming up making sacrifices for the sin of their family. They're remembering how Jesus with a strong hand, how God with a strong hand had led them out of Egypt. How he had, how he had uh, brought them out of slavery. And so they're already on their mind the theme of victory, of salvation, of deliverance was there. And not only that, he had went viral in the area, right? Work, like the, the word about his, the works, the mighty things he was doing had hit. And they, so they were expecting Jesus to come in and to be this king, just not the king that they wanted. They were wanting a king who would come in and just liberate them from the oppression of their day, right? This Roman occupation, this seat of power that was lording over them and beating them down. They wanted freedom from that, right? They were looking for one to come in and make them a sovereign nation. They expected Jesus to establish his earthly kingdom. But what Jesus came to do was something a little different, but eternally more significant. See, Jesus came not to be to set up some earthly seat of power, but to establish a heavenly kingdom from which he would reign over all things. And God would put all enemies under him as his footstool. Right? Jesus came not to make them comfortable, but to make them a holy people. He didn't come to just uh, uh, pander and cater to their desires. He came to get at the root of what they truly needed. And that was that they needed to be redeemed from the bondage of sin in their life. Their their greater problem wasn't Roman occupation. It was that there was a place of occupation in their hearts of idolatry and of sin. And Jesus came to deliver them and redeem them from that. He wasn't coming, listen to me, he wasn't coming to, to just looking for applause of people. This is crucial. When Jesus rode in on that donkey that day, what he was coming to do was to be worshipped, to be their redeemer, to be their savior. And here's the thing. This would ultimately, this, this missed expectation, this unmet expectation would ultimately be the thing that in four days, listen to me, four days from this event, these shouts of Hosanna would turn to cries of crucifixion. They would go from adoring him, nailing Hosanna, kill him. Four days, how do you get there? Because what they were expecting was one to come and just make them comfortable. And Jesus had greater desires than that. Greater desires than that. To make them a holy people. And so I think there's a a really important word for us in this passage. There's all kinds of expectations that people have for the person of Christ. How he would 
reign in our lives and what Jesus can do for your lives. And maybe you're here today and Jesus is simply just an addition to what you feel like is already a pretty good thing. Right, he's just something you want to add on to your weekend plans so you kind of got this morality box checked and you head out. Maybe Jesus for you is someone that he's a, he's a good teacher. He, you know, there's some morals I can show my kids in this. And he kind of is like this cosmic therapist for your family. Listen, Jesus in this passage shows us that he's not just a good insurance policy for when things get tough. He's not just concerned with your happiness. His heart is for your holiness. Jesus wants to do more in your life. He doesn't just want to be a part of your life. Listen to me, church. He wants to be your life. All of it. He wants to use all of it, all the common things, all of it, leveraged for his glory and, and his purposes and his mission. See, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem this day, I want to make sure you hear this. When he rode into Jerusalem this day, he wasn't coming just to die and lay up this arbitrary deposit. That's so important that we understand what's happening in this passage for our Easter celebration. When I, when I, rem I can almost remember God pushing this into my mind and my heart, and just, it radically changed the way I viewed Easter. If you see Easter as just this Jesus is coming on a donkey to go die because the lowly, humble Jesus is just going to do that. And so, you know, he died, so I don't have, if that's your idea of Easter, I feel like we cut the legs off the story. You strip it from its power and its significance. What's beautiful about the true gospel is that what we see happening when Jesus is coming in on this donkey, he's coming in, it is a mission, right? It's not just an arbitrary event. It's not just another step in his journey. It is a mission. Jesus is heading to the cross. He is going to the cross not just for some, you know, unforeseen people, he had the names. Listen to me. He had, if you know Jesus, he had your name in his head. Your, your name, Matt, Mark, Mike, Angie, Vicki, Brian. If you're in this room and you know Christ, he had your name in his mind. So when he was going to the cross, listen, he wasn't going to just be some addition to your life. Right? If you know Jesus, he was going to accomplish what you never could, what you would never on your own standing, your own morality would never get there. So Jesus said, I'm going to do it for them. I'm going to lay down my life. I'm going to redeem a people. And so here's what I know could be true today. There's probably some unmet expectations in this room today. You're here and Jesus is something that, man, he's just been a part of your life. He's been almost a tradition around your holidays. Right, he, he's there on Christmas. He's there on Easter. He was there at your kid's, you know, uh, birth. He's there when times get tough. But where is he today? Where is he today? Is he Lord of your life? Does he have access to all of you? Or just some of you? Who is he today? Maybe you're here and I think maybe Jesus wants to do another unexpected thing. You know, when we, when we gather in the name of Christ and we meet Jesus, anytime I see in Scripture an encounter with Christ happens, somebody walks away changed. You know, and I just see so often we gather and we gather and we gather and you see people come, they hear the gospel preached, and they leave. 
They hear the gospel preached. They hear the name of Jesus. They see the good works of Christ. They see what he's done in their, in their place for those who would look to him in faith, that they would be redeemed. And people leave, and they, they just go back to this, the same patterns of life. I think maybe today you're here, and you didn't expect Jesus to do anything. You, you showed up the same way. You just say, I'm going to sing some songs, go to lunch, have a good weekend, get back to work, grind it out again. Maybe today God wants to do an unexpected thing in your life. You see, I don't serve a God who is just, you know, uh, somewhat in control and somewhat distant. Jesus is in control of every event, every moment. I don't think there is anything outside of his sovereign hand. And so I know this. It's what I believe. I believe if you're in a pew today, if you're in a chair in the back of the room today, you're here because God wants you to be. You, if you breathe right now, it's because he's placing that air in your lungs for his glory. And so what I'm going to ask you to do today is I want, you to, I want you to ask this question of the Lord. God, what unexpected thing do you want to do in my life? What common, unforeseen, overlooked thing in my life do you want to have access to today? Maybe for the first time, that unforeseen, unexpected thing Jesus wants to do in your life is to call you to faith in him. To have you to maybe it, for the first moment in your life to break your pride in his grip and to make you bow before him as Lord. To say, look, you're awesome and you've got great things going on, but I'm Jesus. And before me, you're nothing. So stop pretending. Stop trying to just do it on your own. I'm the one that deserves all of your affection, all of your attention, all of your worship. Maybe that's what you came for today. An unexpected thing he wants to do in your life. He wants to use for his glory and for his purpose. Michael's going to come and we're going to move into a time of response. And I want to do something just a little bit different if we can. You know, right now, um, there's this, I'm going to reference this statement I made earlier today in the message. Because I think that um, I, I just really desire that when we come and we meet with the Lord, that we leave with something, something that maybe he wants to do in our lives, right? We leave with something in our hands that we can either be obedient to move in, step towards, to do something with, or we can not. I told you earlier, when Jesus is Lord of your life, when he's Lord, I should probably say if he's Lord, if he's, if he's God. Lord means boss. Let me say it this way. For our Western kind of successful business mind, okay? If Jesus is boss of your life, if he's boss of your life, meaning you're not, if he is, if you've called on the name of Christ, he's your Lord and Savior, that's the position he's supposed to be. Remember Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, boss, and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, we'll celebrate that next week, right? What does it say? You will be saved. So if you know Christ, he's boss, right? If he's not boss, you don't know Christ, okay? So I'll make sure you follow me. So if he's boss of your life, I said there's not one thing in your life he doesn't have unfiltered access to. Not one thing, right? Your marriage, if he's boss, it's his. Maybe today that thing he wants to do a work in. You weren't coming here for marriage counseling. You weren't coming here for him to do some radical work there. But maybe he wants to today. 
Maybe once he, what, what he wants to do is say, hey, your marriage is, is kind of living under this banner of worldliness and of secularness. And you're, you're getting all of your marriage advice and your marriage patterns and all the way that you, you guys interact as a family under the influence of what you see in your neighborhood or what you see through your Instagram scroll. Maybe that's the kind of road you're trying to navigate. But I want to do a, a, a transformative work by the power of the gospel in your life through, through the word that is saturating it. Maybe your family just needs to, for the first time today, you go home, won't you pray together? Listen, nothing radically reshaped my intimacy with my wife than praying with her. Maybe you're not doing that. Who wants to do that in your life? Right, maybe for, for you right now, it's like you, you've just been an attendee at a church. You've been a butt in a seat. And I'm just going to tell you guys, listen to me. I love you. Some of you, I've just met you. I love you, okay? I love you too much to tell you that he just wants you to come and sit. He just wants you to come and feel good and leave. I'm not a motivational speaker, okay? I'm a pastor. I want to walk with families. I want to belong to something. I want to charge the gates of hell with the people, right? And maybe you're here today and you don't have a church home. Join us. Join us. And that's the unexpected thing he wants to do in your life. Maybe it's your business. It's your home. It's your whatever, right? You know what it is. So right now, won't you bow your head and close your eyes? I want you to ask God if you if you would be so bold to kind of put your hands out in front of you. I want you to imagine what's in your hands is your job, it's your family. If you have kids, it's your kids. It's your health. your neighborhood the areas of influence that he's given you I want you to imagine that Jesus is in this passage coming up to you saying hey I want to use that thing what's in your hands right now that you've not given him access to in a moment we're going to sing I want you to come before the Lord in this honest posture of take this thing? Would you have access to this thing? If that means that you radically do a work I was not expecting, that it reorients everything about my weekends, my calendars, my voice, my, you know, the way I steward relationships in my life. If it means I've got to change friend groups or I've got to add new disciplines into my life of holiness that honor you, would, would you take this thing? You have access. You are Lord. God, would you move in it? Father, I love you. And God, so thankful for your word. I'm so thankful for this church. I'm so thankful for just your, your lordship. And, and God, just what we get to celebrate today. We remember that today was the day. A couple thousand years ago. Where you took a step towards the cross. You set your face to Jerusalem. You set your eye on Calvary because you set your heart on us. If we know you, Lord Jesus, I pray that we would see the significance in that. It should elevate our worship of you. It should elevate our obedience to you. It should elevate everything about this season, God. Lord Jesus, you are good. We are not. So God, I just pray, Father, would you do something?
despite me, despite my imperfect words, God, I just pray you would do a work in the lives of somebody today. Lord, if there's someone in here that the unexpected event in their life is that they would bow their knee to you as Lord and Savior and begin a relationship of imperfectly stumbling forth in our walk with you, that you would do it for your glory. Use the unexpected thing. Use unexpected people for your purpose. Let's stand and let's worship together.